Welcome to the Cedarville Stories podcast. Susan Plemons has learned well the lessons of Psalm 119.50. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. That has especially been true during the seven years she has taught vocal music at Cedarville. At every turn, Susan is learning in deeper ways that it is the Lord who is preserving her life. Enjoy this conversation with Mark Weinstein and Susan Plemons. Thank you, Sarah, for setting the stage for today's conversation with Susan Plemons on this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. I'm Mark Weinstein, your host, and today my conversation with Susan will focus on her love of music and Jesus. So welcome to the podcast, Susan. Thank you, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. It's great. It's great to have you. By way of introduction for those listening to the podcast, Susan Plemons taught music in K-12 through classrooms prior to joining the faculty at Cedarville University in 2013. That's seven years ago. You've been here quite a while. Yeah. Back in your K-12 through days, your choirs performed on radio and in television in New York and Florida. I'd be interested in learning more about that. Locally, Susan has served as the assistant conductor of the Dayton Philharmonic Orchestra Chorus, and Susan has also performed in regional Broadway productions in Dallas, and in Lakeland, Florida. And she's also done concerts, I understand, in Belgium. Finally, Susan earned a master's degree in music from the University of South Florida and a bachelor's degree from Baylor University. So with all that said, again, welcome to the podcast. And as I looked at your profile and talked to a few people, it appears to me that you've lived a large portion of your life in the South. Where are you originally from? There has been a large portion. I will now uh, enter into my Southern accent. I was born in Dallas, Texas. Baylor University Hospital, the George W. Truett Wing. You can't get more Southern Baptist than that. No. So (laughs) how long did you live in the South compared to, you know, here in the North? Uh, I've lived up here 14 years now, 13 years. I moved here in 2007. Other than that, it was in the South. And uh, family moved around when I was growing up. I, we might as well have been in the military. We moved six times in 12 years. But my dad was a, an athlete and he worked with YMCA's. And when he promoted, we would, we would move. So Texas, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Florida. Do you have a favorite place where you've lived? Dallas, Texas. I went, I went back to Texas for Baylor University. And then uh, when Ronnie and I were married, we settled in the Dallas area. And he went to Criswell College, and then he went to Southwestern Seminary. So we stayed in the Dallas area for uh, maybe nine years or so. Looking at your profile and your extensive background, I'm interested in in starting off by learning how did the love of music and the arts come into your life? So my dad was an athlete. He was a professional basketball player for a brief time. Who did he play for? Uh, Fort Wayne Pistons. This basketball player married an opera singer. And so uh, God did not give me his height or his athleticism. My my mom's love for music. And when I was three, I wanted her to start teaching me piano. And she made me wait till I was five. I'm Mm -hmm. told in the family folklore that when I was three, I was in a preschool choir at church. And we stood up to sing probably a Wayne a Manger. And I would not allow the choir to begin until I organized them properly on stage. So you were born to be a I conductor was born and a director. To be a musician. <laughs> From a 
very early age and I loved it. I loved the practice of it, you know, not just the performing of it, but I just loved all aspects of music. And I started as a, as a singer, but I started taking lessons in piano and was into the guild competitions and about 15 years of age. I just, I felt like I really wanted to serve God in the church with my music and And there was a position in the big churches at that time called the children's choir coordinator. You were kind Mm -hmm. of the music educator for these churches. So it didn't take me long. I started music ed at Baylor and then I switched to church music. And in the 1980s, the faculty had to vote. I was the first female in the church music degree on the bachelor's level. And I didn't do it to try to make a statement I did it because it would allow me to take more voice lessons because the church music degree was considered a vocal performance degree. And then also because I I just wanted to, I felt called to serve the church. So the love of music came from my mom and just, it's been with me. You play the piano. What else do you play? Are you pretty much more a vocal vocalist? Yeah, I, I play maybe three chords on the guitar I love to play around on the drums, uh, the cajon, and things like that, but I'm trained with piano and with voice. Okay, but you're also trained with theater then, right? Because you performed Yeah, I choral conducting. My master's degree was in choral conducting, which I absolutely love. When did you know you wanted to go into teaching? You know, that's funny. Um, I thought teaching, I had a, you know, we struggle with ego. I still really work to keep that in check. And I really wanted to be a performer. I thought it'd be like the next Sandy Patty or something and and just loved it. And graduated church music and my husband was still in seminary and I actually worked as a secretary for the church music department of the Baptist General Convention of Texas, which was a really amazing job. I worked with Bro Red, I worked with all kinds of different musicians, but it was all administrative. And across the street was a little old church called First Baptist Church of Dallas. And Mm -hmm. my husband was going to Criswell College and they needed a music teacher. And I was really getting tired of just being administrative. So that's when I became a private school music teacher and absolutely fell in love with teaching. Just, man, had no idea that the daily interaction and just, uh, you know, teaching. I taught K through 12 and I'm still in touch with some students from way back in the day. Unpack your teaching back then when you first started. Uh, What was it like to teach K through 12 students? Probably a lot different than it is today for you at at Cedarville. Oh yeah. (laughs) In the kindergarten class, you know, you get hugs when they're coming to the door and and I always tell, you know, uh, young music teachers, I think teaching music is the best job in the world. I mean, if if they can't learn and have fun in your classroom, and I, I'm a fun person, I like to have fun. Right. But, you know, I would say to the kindergarten, you know, I'm just not going to pull your teeth, okay? You do need to, you know, so you don't deal with that at on a collegiate level when they're coming in the door. You still give hugs and everything, but it's been really cool looking back because, you know, with kindergartners, uh, you teach them the difference between their speaking voice and their singing voice. You okay. know, you're, you're teaching them, you're going so basic, so basic. This is fast, this is slow. You know, this is high, this is low. 
So it's been really cool to have taught from kindergarten through university level and right. challenged as a teacher to, to take it down to the most basic level and then also to take it now up to such a, a degree so specific and, and such a higher degree of performance. So that's yeah. been a really cool thing looking back at my career. I want to dive more into this in a little bit, little bit but um, I'm interested in knowing, so you said you, you taught at a private school. So I, I want to believe that you had the freedom back then to share your faith is that the case? How did that play out back in the, when you were teaching in the 80s? Well, in, in the private Christian school, First Baptist Church, First Baptist Academy, you know, the Bible was integrated into everything we did. And right. just like it is here at Cedarville. And then I went down the road and I became my husband's minister of music and minister of worship. I was that for 13 years. Then stepped out of that, went into public school teaching. And I felt like it was such a mission field. And the thing about public school teaching is I always carefully interviewed my principal. Okay. And I really would go where I felt like God was calling me, but also I really wanted to have a good principal. And, and I would talk about, you know, my faith with the principal. And then I, I always had principals, even in public school, that if I wore a Christian t-shirt, it was okay. But I knew that I couldn't really initiate conversation. But I could show enough in how I reacted, how I treated the students so that hopefully the Christians in the classroom could start initiating conversations. And then my principals did let me sing traditional Christmas carols at Christmas time, you know, based on scripture and, and things like that. So the conversations could be initiated by the students and I would jump on those opportunities. So as long as the students initiated something, then you could participate, but not until. Yes, yes, yes. Uh-huh. So you you initially taught at the First Baptist Academy, so that's mm -hmm. private, mm -hmm. Christian, but it sounds like you also taught public school. Is that correct? I did. In Houston, I finally, I'm using my air quotes, retired as a minister of music, and, uh, and, and down the road was a, a federally funded middle school. And it was multi-generational poverty. And some of the families came to our church. Uh, we were in kind of a transitional neighborhood. We were a multi-ethnic church. Okay. And so God sent me down there. And man, I learned so much about, well, middle school for me was the most difficult teaching, but also the multi-generational poverty and how to reach those students in a lot of fights every day, learn how to break up the guy fights. You don't even try to break up the girls, but I would sit and I'd eat in the cafeteria with the students. And I would just say, Hey, if a food fight breaks out, just protect me. I tell them, you know, if there's something that happens, cause this was, this was a, you know, a very difficult group of students and there was a lot of conflict. And I'd say, if, if you want to go somewhere in the school where you feel safe, come to the choir room. Just the choir room's a safe place. It's a safe zone. And I really, really worked hard to have that rapport with my students on a different level, but also to feel like I'm there to protect them. And it, those students ended up, you know, doing great jobs in, in the competitions. And I mean, they were real gang members and, and they would fold up their blood and their crip bandanas and sing solfege for me. Wow. So that was a whole nother teaching experience. God, let me have. 
with that experience in public schools, have you lost contact with all those students or does anyone ever cross your radar and say, I remember when you did this and thank you for that? Uh, I have a lot of contact with my students here in Ohio because before I came to Cedarville, I was at Wayne High School in Huber Heights. Okay. Well, incredibly, you know, especially with Facebook. First Baptist Academy, I still am in touch with those students on Facebook and they'll reach out. Um, and the ones at the middle school, I can't say because, you know, Facebook wasn't around. Right. So, but the, the ones that are, that were also in our church, yes, I still am in touch with them. It has to be very meaningful when you have a former student, one, two, ten, who reach back out to you and say, thank you for this, or this is what you meant to me as a teacher. Um, it is. What's that like? <laughs> I have a, I have a really pretty box in my office and it's kind of a keepsake momentum where I, down through the years, I've just learned to stash those cards and letters and pictures. And I actually, in Lakeland, Florida, when I was a minister of music, I also taught uh, part-time at Southeastern University. Uh -huh. And uh, I have some students from there. And one of the young ladies, you know, she's in her career and she's been singing in New York, just moved to Nashville. I mean, she still does my vocal warmups and reaches out. So it's just really cool to, to keep in touch across the years. Is there any parallel similarities between teaching K through 12 to teaching college students? Yeah. You know, um, I do like to build relationships. So K through 12 or university, I like to build relationships. I like to be, uh, have a lot of honest dialogue and that might be, I'm having a tough day or they're having a tough day. Now let's move forward a little bit. So you mentioned you, you taught at Wayne High School before you came to Cedarville. How did you come to teach at Cedarville? What's the story? That's a great story. I thought God was really, really, really crazy because for four years, I saw about 300 students a day at Wayne High School. And it was, wow. it was the most rewarding choral conducting I've ever had in my life. I had about five choirs. And these, uh, you know, we were going on the road to Florida and New York and they were, you know, I, I would get called, I got called one Christmas from a local public TV that said, hey, can we come film your Christmas concert? I mean, how often do you get that call as a public school teacher? I love the teaching. I love the students. I love what I was doing. And they had built a lot of news. They built all new schools and looked up at their budget and said, oh my, we need to cut. We need to cut oh. the teachers. And according to union rules, the last one hired is the first one fired. First one let go if there's a reduction in force. Okay. And so um, it was it was me. And I mean, the head of HR was even in tears when he had to call me in and say, we don't want to let you go, but this is a union district. It was in the paper in, in Huber Heights about me having to leave the position and Steve Winterig lives, lives in Huber Heights. And also during my time there, I connected with Wright State University and with Cedarville University to bring in guest professors to the classroom, of which one was Beth Porter. And we okay. did a joint concert with our women's choirs. And so when she heard that I had lost the job, she contacted me and asked me to come to Cedarville as an adjunct voice professor. So I tell people I washed up on the shores of Cedarville 
And, uh, and then I started teaching contemporary voice for the worship students. During the course of my teaching in that year, you know, uh, it, it kind of started, God just started focusing in on, hey, your church music degree, vocal performance, and there became an opening in the worship department for a new faculty member. So then they asked me to be a be on a one year contract as they did a search for the position. And then during that one year, uh, they offered me the position. And Mark, that is a God thing that does not happen very often. I don't have a doctorate, but for God to put this and to have a female to speak into the females in the degree. And I actually right. have experience as a minister of music. I actually have the, the teaching experience, the church music degree. You know, that was just a God thing that he knew that I needed to be at Cedarville. He's, never, he's always on the mark. So going back to your Wayne exodus. Yes. Is it fair to say if that hadn't happened, uh, you yes. probably wouldn't have left Wayne? I would not have left Wayne. I would not have left Wayne. I'd still be there. And as, as wonderful as Wayne was, when my husband passed, God knew mm -hmm. I needed the Cedarville community around me. He really did. Yeah. What do you um, enjoy most about your time of teaching and just being at Cedarville University? Cedarville, the students here are amazing. I mean, yesterday I did a Zoom advising session and my very first freshman, we've spent 50 minutes on Zoom and I try to get them all prepared for everything I say, okay, I want to close this in prayer. And she said, well, can I pray for you too? I mean, oh, wow. I can't tell you how many times the students here reach out to minister to me, to us. Yeah. And the faculty around me and the staff around me, there's such a focus on serving each other. And that is from the top down. And that's students and that's faculty, that's staff. That is administration. And you just don't find that everywhere. It is so unique. That just makes it really special. Yeah, it does. And I've said this many times, Susan. I've been at the university 10 years, and I've also been at six total universities in my tenure. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I realize that. But I've never been at a school where it preaches excellence in everything that we do, yeah. and it has the spot-on biblical direction that we do. And so that, that's what makes Cedarville unique and special for me. And you just said the same thing. So that's, that's very encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're, we're recording this in uh, the first week of August, we're, we're still in the midst of COVID-19. So that's going to bring some unique challenges to the classroom, even this coming uh, school year. What are some of your hopes and dreams, knowing that you have to navigate COVID-19? I still want to be able to connect with the students and I'm excited right now that they do get to come on campus. I'm looking at bringing the girls from the worship program over and hopefully it'll be wonderful weather and we can be outside and, you know, be able to still find some outdoor things to do to connect with yeah. students and uh, to even be able to perform, uh, I think is going to be a challenge for our department. And then uh, just to be sensitive, because this summer I, uh, I have a fire pit in my backyard and I just contacted local students 
and said, just come over. It was Memorial weekend. Let's just come over and bring your guitars, have s'mores. And I knew that I needed that. I absolutely had no idea how hungry they were. They'd been away from the school since March and isolated and and they connect with each other they connect with with everyone on campus so i really really pray that we will still be able to find opportunities to make those connections because we hung out and we had s'mores and we sang and we prayed together and nobody wanted to leave when it was over and there was just such a, a hunger for that connection yeah yeah i think there's a hunger for that in our society mm-hmm. people want to stay connected with people and connected to the truth. So I commend you for that. And just listening to you talk today, I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to find ways to be creative (laughs) and to connect with your students and minister to them as they minister to you. So that's pretty neat. Um, I want to transition in the latter part of our podcast to maybe the hardest part of your life. It would be for me. And that's the losing of a spouse, the passing of a spouse. So Ron, passed away. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church in Fairborn. That's what brought you to the area, correct? Right. Huh? So he was pastor there. He unexpectedly passed away. I'm interested in knowing, you know, how has the Lord brought you through that most difficult point of your life? It's, uh, it's been, um, it, it has been an amazing time. Uh, you know, you, you read so many things. I was just cracking open the book of Psalm. And it says, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. And we know these promises, but it's these difficult times in our life that really brings them to life and then really solidifies them in our hearts. And um, he died in August 22, 2017, the day before classes started that year. He, yeah. uh, we knew he had a, he'd had open heart surgery at 45. So we knew he had a condition. His dad had died at 60 with the same condition. So 60 was kind of the number we were watching. He was 54. And actually, he was buried on his 55th birthday. In oh, wow. Yeah. So much younger, much earlier. And um, just what you're, you're kind of launched into such a time of shock. And then in, while you're in shock, you've got to still do all of these things. And then grief impacts you on every level, you know, your brain, your emotions, spiritually, mentally, physically. Uh, I experienced something called grief attack. When Mm. I was home and I was just fine, I was just doing some work at the table and just, you know, kind of almost went into a seizure. I was shaking so bad and not swallowing my tongue. What's going on? It's a grief attack. Okay. Uh, You just don't have control over where grief is going to take you. But uh, you do have control over staying in the word. People reach out and help you. The longer you're in it, the fewer people reach out and help you. That's just kind of normal. So just experiencing all those social changes and the, the, you know, my church now, I'm a trigger when I walk in the door. I'm a trigger when I walk in the door. So I stayed at our church until May. And then uh, 2018, that summer, I left because I'm alone up here. We didn't have any natural children. We had lots of spiritual children. And Ronnie and and I had said, okay, if something happens, you know, your family's in Florida, your family's in Nashville, you've got a wonderful job here, but probably 
the best choice for you is going to be to go live close to your family. So all during that time after he passed, I was sending out all these resumes and I was actually offered a kind of offered a job in Texas, but I said no to it. And I had all kinds of people trying to help me find a job in Nashville, which I love Nashville and in Lakeland, Florida and no, nothing opened up. So I'm gone for the summer. I come back in July of 2018 to teach and get ready to teach. I was actually driving around the village and praying. I was like, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? I know I signed my contract. Am I going to keep looking for jobs? And I parked and um, I just heard that still small voice. And he said, I didn't just bring you to Cedarville for then. I mm. brought you to Cedarville for now and for your future. You need to stay at Cedarville. And I just like, my mind just opened up. I'm like, you're right. It was really amazing how he moved me from an absolutely spectacular job to adjunct, to to one-year contract, to a, a position. I mean, that was a God thing. I said, you're right, God. I'm going to stay here. God just spoke to me and he said, it wasn't just for then, it was for now, and he's right. And then, of all things, 2019, October 2019, First Baptist Church of Fairborn called my nephew as their pastor. That's right. I forgot about that. My husband's spiritual son. And it was a it was a total, I mean, I had nothing to do with it. It was not manipulated by anything human at all. I mean. Uh, it was amazing to see God put that together. So now I have family up here. <laughs> I have my nephew and his wife and their four kids. I mean, last Friday, I zipped over to their house. Two Fridays ago, I was babysitting. What a God thing. God does provide, doesn't he? He does. And and now uh, he opened the door for me to work in the grief share ministry. I, I, I joined uh, Grace Baptist and I said, I really would like to help the widow. And they have great grief share ministry. And so they said, we'd love for you to kind of take over the leadership of that. Through grief share ministry, uh, I discovered another ministry from a friend in the in the group. And it's called Nothing is Wasted with Davey Blackburn. Mm. Okay. Uh, his dad spoke at chapel here. But Davey's the young pastor who's, whose wife was murdered. Mm-hmm. And I joined his podcast, started listening to his podcast, and he has started a new ministry online where he has groups that you can come and to, to try to help each other. And he needed a leader for widows over 40. Mm-hmm. So now I am a, a group guide. So that's that's been pretty amazing. We don't go through pain just to go through pain. Right. Where, you know, we live in a world, my husband used to say, God created a world that uh, we were to, to live in a good world and, and evil was to be a concept. You know, Adam and Eve fell and we live in a world that, that has disease and that has, it's fallen and, and God yeah. knew we were going to have pain. Yeah. And all of the verses he gave us where he speaks into our suffering and, and Christ came and and he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he binds up the brokenhearted. And he yeah. really does. It takes time. It does take time. But he binds it up. I mean, I am internally, I just feel just, I feel whole. 
And it's just a supernatural God thing that he bound up the broken heart and um, sent me in a new direction and has totally taken care of me. It's been a very, very special walk. And I almost died in January and he took care of me then too. Tell me about that. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. Tell me about that. So November, I was like, man, I'm feeling great, God. Let's go. Let's have fun for the rest of my life. You know, I think I've been through a lot. And all of a sudden, uh, January 1, I was at urgent care, and they said, you've got bronchitis. And of all things, my nephew and his family were living with me. January okay. 5, my niece hears that I'm having trouble breathing, and she's like, we need to go back to urgent care. And they immediately sent me to the hospital, and, and I, they sent me up to ICU. And right. honestly, people have died with far less than what I walked mm. into ICU with. So I had acute renal failure and sepsis, double pneumonia with an abscess. And my resting heart rate was 162. They oh, thought I was about to have a heart attack. I mean, people have died with far less. And I, what in the world? I don't even have pre-existing conditions. I don't even take, I don't even take medication. I was laying there in ICU. And once again, the community came around me, my neighbors and Beth and Roger, and they were praying for me and my, and I was laying there, I'm like, okay, God, my estate is done. My will is done. I've had a wonderful life. If this is it, I'm fine. I'm a little surprised, but I'm fine. <laughs> and of all things, he just, he said, no, I'm not done. He took that, that clay and he kind of, he broke it. He smushed it back down and I was broken again. And I didn't understand that. I'm like, what? Yeah. I just got rebuilt. I was rebuilt and I, I really, one thing I learned through this and um, my nephew really helped that he was there. Matthew was there while I was recuperating because I used a cane to walk and, and my doctor said, you've got to move. And God, when God obviously was keeping me alive, I said, okay, God, I'm going to move. And I would go to the field house and walk one lap and just cry and go, oh, oh, wow. that's like all I could do. I was shuffling. And then I would do it again and I'd walk around my house and, and I was like, okay, God, if you want me to live, then I'm, it's my job. I'm going to live. And I started joining him in that. And by February, I was teaching back to a full load, which is mm. un amazing. Like three weeks right. out of ICU. So I went Sunday in ICU, Thursday, I came out of the hospital. So he really started healing me. And then he just, said you're not done right and I still feel a little the abscess when I breathe deep and it's kind of like a little reminder that I learned in this season I don't want to run ahead of God I want to be right beside the shepherd and that was a hard identity for me because sheep are not the smartest, no, <laughs> the smartest no. animals out there no they're not but I I really learned the the wonderful relationship and comfort with the shepherd. So I'm I'm grateful for it. He he took me through another tough season, and you know what? There might be more out there. I'm going to modify my last question because I always ask my guests the last question: What's the Lord teaching you right now? I think you just shared you just shared what the Lord's teaching you right now. But I want to add to it. Then how are you taking what He's teaching you to help others? My latest thing that he taught me is I've been pretty good trusting. Yeah. But I have not 
I've still struggled with trusting his timing. Sure. And in this latest season, of, of it's been a, a lot more of learning to trust his timing yeah. and to, to just to just trust his timing. I trust a lot. I trust his plans now. I trust his heart. I trust his hand, even when he's a potter and he's got to reshape that clay. But trusting his timing, I, I, that's what I'm learning right now. That's, that's a difficult lesson to learn. It's uh, easy to trust. It's easy to say we trust God when everything is going well. Yeah. You've lived a tough life uh, yeah. recently. Yeah. And you still tr you still trust the Lord. In fact, you trust him probably more now more. than you did before. I, yeah, it's more. It's sweeter. It is, you know, you can, I've heard you can get bitter or you can get better. It's sweeter. It's sweeter mm. because, you know, we do live in a fallen world and, and, we're probably all going to go through difficult things. And the way yeah. that he has brought me through, it's been sweet. It has. That's great to hear. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Susan, I want to thank you for spending the last several minutes with us. And I, I hope you have a great uh, school year. I'm sure you will. And thanks for being faithful and being a great servant to the Lord through your students here at Cedarville University. And, and also, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thanks. It's been great. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to share what God's doing. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. If you were encouraged by this conversation, like I was, please share this episode with a friend. If you know of an awesome Cedarville story, share it with us. We would love to showcase how God is at work in the Cedarville family. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.